Are you seeking a better way to accelerate your sales, to scale your business, to live a life with no limits? Accelerate Sales Podcast features global experts who have cracked the code to recurring revenues with proven sales systems and get you on the fast track to scaling. Now let's accelerate your sales with today's episode. Hi, I'm Paul Higgins, and welcome to the Accelerate Sales Podcast, episode number 457. Today, you're going to learn a lot about negotiation, but in particular, you're going to learn why win-win is a myth, right? So Mark speaks brilliantly about that. Second is how to plan and prepare, and I know that sounds obvious, but it's not always the case. The second or the third, I should say, is the role play, right? So he's got some brilliant ways to do role plays and also talks about video as well and uh, how video is different to in-person. And the third one is how to debrief, which is essential to improve and get better. If you're a first-time listener and you love what you hear, please subscribe. It's specifically for cloud consultants, people that consult and deploy a SaaS-based platform. And if you're a regular, send me a email at paul at paulhigginsmentoring.com saying that you listen, but most importantly, either refer a guest and it could be you, someone that you'd love to have on the show or a topic you'd like me to cover in the solos. And there'll be a summary and Mark gives some great assets in this. So there'll be a summary in the app. You can find all that at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. Before we go into the interview with Mark, I'd like to thank our sponsors, the world's only revenue-focused community for cloud consultants. Get your questions answered by peers quickly. Uh, less technical, more biz, and it's cloudconsultantscollective.com to join free today and SendSpark, which is a fantastic video platform to help you personalize sales messages at scale. It makes a massive difference and you can get six months free at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash SendSpark. All the links will be in the show notes. Our guest today, Mark, is a serial entrepreneur and lover of marketing and thought leadership. Mark is an expert in negotiation, influence and persuasion. He has coached executives and teams in some of the largest companies in the world calling including Zendesk, Nike, Citibank, the Sasha Group, Salesforce, the US military, LinkedIn, and Humana. And Mark has been featured in Entrepreneur, Forbes, Thrive, Global, Supply and Demand, Chain Executive Magazine. And he's appeared on dozens of podcasts, including Make It Happen Mondays, The Brutal Truth About Sales, and the Insider's Guide to Finance, and I'm hoping you'll add the Accelerate Sales podcast to that list. So now over to Mark Raffin from Negotiations Ninja. Fantastic to have you here, Mark. Thank you so much for having me, Paul. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, look, you know, your experience is exhaustive that I've just read out. So I'm really happy to dive into that. But, you know, the one that really struck me when I went to your some of your websites was uh, win-win negotiations is a myth, right? So let's tackle the elephant in the room straight away. What do you mean by the fact that it's a, it's a myth? And I thought we were all meant to get win-win. I think it's a great catchphrase, but I don't <laughs> think it's a strategy. Um, I think it's probably the biggest, most misleading thing in negotiations today. Because win-win is based on both parties coming to the table in a open, transparent, collaborative, trust-based way. The reality is, is that's not always going to happen, right? And so if you approach a negotiation with a win-win mindset and the counterparty doesn't, you're going to get spanked in that negotiation. 
And that's that's just the reality. So I, I think that look, it's a nice idea. It's it's a it's a great concept. And sure it's like the idealistic Valhalla like end state where we all would love to be able to end up, but most of our negotiations, people aren't looking for win win. They say that they are because it sounds good. Yes. But they're not really looking for win-win. They're looking for what's in it for them. And you can't really blame them for that. That's their jobs. They're trying to get the most value for them. If you get some value, that's on you. But they're not going to look out for your best interests. And so it's our job to go in with that knowledge in mind that not everyone is going to be looking out for our best interests. And so it's our job to be able to create our own value in that conversation. It's our job to be able to negotiate for that value. And it's also our job to extract that value from the negotiation. Far yeah. too many of us, especially those of us in sales, go into our negotiations always trying to meet the needs of the counterparty, which is great, but often at the cost of our own needs. And so we end up conceding far too much in the negotiation under the guise of win-win and the counterparty walks away with a fantastic deal and good for them and then we walk away with a suboptimal deal and we haven't really generated much value at all in the process and when that happens what we're doing is we're really taking orders we're not really negotiating right we're not really standing up for what it is we want we're not really managing the flow of value we're not really building value and so it's i think it's a common commonly misunderstood thing in negotiation and um, i'm not a fan of it i look there's some great ideas in it uh, yeah. the people that came up with it i think are great I, i'm not going to throw shade on them at all but the idea itself i think is a is a bit misguided yeah and and, and you know i know you've worked around the globe i'm assuming this is global it, you know regardless of what country yeah, this is a myth no matter where you are. Yeah, yeah. Abs I mean, uh, especially like if you just travel due north from where you are and you go to Japan, right? Like that cultural style of negotiation, they're in it for them. They're not in it for you. Yes. Right? So they're trying to make as much money as humanly possible and they're trying to de-risk as much as humanly possible. And by the way, good for them, right? They should do that. Um, It's just, not always going to be the case that you're going to get a raw, raw, let's all hold hands, be collaborative style negotiation. It's just not always going to happen. All right. So, so we've set the, we busted the myth. We've set sort of the playing field. Now, I know you talk about, well, what's the alternative, right, to, to win win? And, and you talk about three key habits that are essential to, you know, get what's in it for you. And then the other party can, you know, sort out their, their side, as you said. So take us through yeah. what, what these three habits are. I think the single biggest thing and the first habit that I want people to focus on when it comes to negotiation is to plan and prepare effectively. Most of us in sales are reacting to what someone has said instead of preparing for what we actually want to drive as value out of the negotiation. And as soon as we react, then we are reacting based on what they want. And so naturally, whenever they that happens, we're 
immediately in a losing position. Instead of thinking about what it is we actually want to drive for success out of the negotiation. So my advice to most folks, and this is point number one, is first figure out what your aspirational goals are for the negotiation. Do you want to cross-sell and upsell more things? Do you want to expand into a new market? Do you want to improve the profitability of the account? Do you want to blah, 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 right? Whatever it might be that is the aspirational goal of that thing. And then think of what are the small objectives, we call them success drivers. Yes. What are the success drivers that drive for the successful outcome and achievement of those aspirational goals. So for example, if you said, well, I want to expand my reach within a company, what is it that you're going to negotiate to be able to expand your reach in that company? And you might say to me, well, I maybe would ask for an introduction. Okay. What else would you do? What else would you try and negotiate into that? And so many people miss that smaller, more focused, objective-based negotiation strategy a lot of people come into it with like a goal, but they don't break that down further. So that's tip number one, plan and prepare effectively. Think about what it is you want to get out of the negotiation. Don't just react to what the person who you're negotiating with has said to you, because that's not going to benefit you in any kind of way. Second thing that I want you to think about as a habit that you should be doing going into the negotiation and by the way, I know there's people screaming right now, but what about the other side? Yeah, obviously, you're going to consider the other side. We're going to take that as a, an obvious. Yeah. But the second thing that I want you to start thinking about is I want you to start role playing before you go into the negotiation as a habit that you build up because it's all good and well to plan and prepare. It's all good and well to have a strategy in place. You can understand what you want to drive towards in terms of successful outcomes. But until you actually say the words, it's just a strategy. So you've got to actually say the words, get the butterflies out, ask questions different ways, and do that with someone that you trust within your own group or within your team that can give you critical feedback on how you come off. Because you may think that you come off sounding polite, courteous all those types of things, but maybe you sound like an asshole. And we don't want that to happen, right? We want you to sound as polite and courteous and respectful as you can. And so when you practice with someone, you get to work that out and you get to ask your questions different ways and you get good critical feedback. The military figured this out ages ago, right? They run field operations all the time, over and over and over and over again, until it becomes rote for whoever's running that operation. So that when they get out into the real world, where they actually have to run an operation, they know exactly what to do because they practice it over and over. Yeah. And, over again. and look at, you That's know, I, I play a lot of sport, I play a lot of golf. And, you know, my coach always says, you know, the tournament's won in the training, not, not in the four days on the on the actual course, right? So it's the exact same thing. I completely it's exactly agree. the same thing. And then the last habit that I want people to start getting into a good habit doing is doing a good debrief. After the negotiation, after every single conversation that you have with the counterparty, just sit down with your team if you've got a team-based approach. If not, just sit down by yourself and work through these three questions. What did I do well? What did I not do well? What do I need to do better next time? Yeah. And if you're honest with yourself, the key here is honesty. If you're honest with yourself, you'll always find something that you can double down on in terms of what you did well, and you'll always find something that you can improve on. 
And that's the key to improving. If you have that constant iterative positive change in that direction, you're going to get better. But here's the downside, Paul. This takes time. Yes. It takes time to invest, to prepare, and prepare. It takes time to role play, and it takes time to debrief. And most people are too lazy to do that because they don't see the immediate effect of that because they've never done it before. But if they did it, they would start to notice massive changes. And over the course of three, six, nine, 12 months, you're going to start to see a massive change in the way that you approach your negotiations. You're going to start to increase more value. You're going to start to reduce more risk and you're going to start to develop better relationships. Spot on. And but it's not, but it's on most people. Yeah. And I find Mark, you know, a lot of people, you know, the hard thing is that they're for for you as a cloud consultant, you're actually a lot of the time you drag back into operations, right? So you, the time that you should be preparing for the negotiation with new clients or existing clients, you're actually losing because you're fighting fires, right? So, yeah. you know, I, I do think that, you know, the better the team, the more support you get, that then allows you the time to go and and do this. And you know, if you're wearing all the hats in your business at the moment and you're you know, putting out fires all the time, that's costing you money at both ends, right? So it's really important to fix that. So, okay, so let's, you know, we've got the uh, plan and prepare, role play and debrief, right? Three great habits. So let's pull apart these a little bit further. So on the the, the plan and prepare, right? So, um, well, the first question I'll ask you is, is it the same if you're going into a new business versus an existing? Do the negotiation um, tactics, are they the same or are they different based on those scenarios? Everything stems from what it is you're trying to achieve, yeah. right? So first start with that question. What am I actually trying to achieve in this negotiation? From that, everything else follows. So if you're going in to renew an existing deal or if you're going into a, a new deal, like a net new deal, then as long as you understand what it is you're trying to achieve, your strategy is going to build from that. Yeah. So let's say it's a renewal. You want to keep out competition. Um, competition in your space is rapidly increasing. There's been threats of changing you as a particular vendor for this. Your strategy is going to stem from, okay, do I want to retain this business? Do I want to grow this business? Do I want to expand this business? Do I want to get rid of this business? Do I care about this business anymore? All of those questions are really, really important because if you don't answer those questions honestly first, then everything stops. So I would say that regardless of whether it's net new or whether it's a renewal, first start with that question. What do I want? Then move on to the next step. And and when you um what is you know, when you say what, what you want, is it you know, is it just financial or are there other things like you know, what, oh, yeah, what's in the back? It could be a number of different things, right? It doesn't necessarily mean I just want to increase my prices or I just want to cross-sell more products or I just want to upsell an additional service. It could mean that I want to reduce risk within our relationship, right? Previously, I've been responsible for all of the liability associated with X part of the project, maybe I shouldn't be taking on that level of risk and I need to transfer some of that risk to someone else. Maybe it's to ensure that you protect your IP when you're going in there because previously you've been 
letting them have all of the work product that you create as a consultant on site. And so they own that IP. Maybe you want to retain that. So it yeah. could be a number of portions of the the thing that you're trying to negotiate that help you to get better deals. Most people default to financial because it's the easiest to quantify. Yes. Yes. The problem with that is if you just focus entirely on that, you're going to start to make concessions in areas where you probably shouldn't, Spot like on. risk, like IP, like all of those yeah. things. Yeah, look, I totally agree, and I think that's a brilliant point. It's one that, that I learned. And and I know that, you know, look, my negotiation training goes back to, I think, about 2010 when I went to INSEAD and, and did the negotiation course, and, you know, it, it changed my corporate life. And I've sort of carried it forward. And it was all about, you know, tradables and really understanding that. And I'm sure you've heard of the case study where, you know, someone was buying a piece of land and it ended up being that they own the land next door. So what you thought it was worth, which is market value versus what it was worth to them was completely different, right? So you could have right. got a far better price. And that's about doing your prep, doing your research and, and understanding it. But you had a whole list of tradables that you could trade off. Like, does that still apply in, in modern negotiations? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because you're going to have things, once you develop a, a list of success drivers, those objectives that you want to negotiate with, those become, but those aren't binary, for example, right? Yes. So it's, it's easy to say, well, I want to get a better price. Well, okay, but how much of a better price? And then what's the range of acceptable outcomes that we have? And now that becomes a tradable item. Right. So you maybe are willing to concede on price if you get better payment terms, for example. Yes. And now we're starting to manage our bargaining and our bartering within the yes. negotiation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, and you know, we sort of always was taught about, you know, what's your walk away position, right? So now your walk away position and then come back from that on all the, the tradables. And I think people don't, you know, they don't have that. And that's like you said, then that turns into a, win-lose for you because you're trying to get win-win and all of a sudden you've lost all your um all your positioning in the in the negotiation so so yeah. you know you're planning for financials non-financials and you know how do you find out the information about the the other party like you said you've got to understand what you want but you also got to understand what they want so you know i might be a, a salesforce consultant i'm going into a medium-sized business now, what are some of the better ways to to find out uh, information about them? Before you have a conversation with someone, I always like to make some educated guesses about what they may want. Now, yes. this may differ from what a lot of people would say, because a lot of people would say, well, just go into the negotiation and ask them. And that's a good idea. And I also think that you need to start thinking about what they could want so that you are at least prepared to have that conversation should that come up in that first discussion. Because if you're not prepared to have that conversation, you're going to look like a bit of an idiot. You haven't done thinking about what the counterparty might want, and you're not really ready to have that. It just takes longer. It's a waste of time. So first, think about what they could want. Now, that is a guess. Right. Yes. So with any guesses or assumptions that we make, we always have to vet or determine whether our assumptions or guesses are correct. Then go into the negotiation and ask them, right? Like, what do you want to achieve from this? What does success look like for you? Yes. If you were going to paint the picture of a perfect relationship between us, what would that look like? 
those kinds of good qualifying and information gathering questions are going to really change the way that someone views you because you're really starting to think about things from their perspective now. Write those things down, by the way. Don't just think you're going to keep it in your head because you're going to lose track of it. Yeah, a and- key thing that I think a lot of people need to think about, especially when it comes to the negotiation itself, not just the relationship building portion of it, is speak specifically to the negotiation, not just the relationship. Yes, we want the relationship to be perfect, but what do you want to get specifically out of this deal? And then also ask them, what's going to make you look good in front of your boss? Because, yes, there are specific things that they want to drive out of the negotiation, but there's also emotional things that are important to them, too. And if they want to be praised and recognized, which everyone does, then we've got to figure out what's going to help them get praise and recognition. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And I don't know if you've heard of… Miller Hyman's strategic selling, but you know, once again at Coca-Cola was sort of, that was drilled into us. You know, what are their personal wins? What are their business wins? And often that personal win, whether it was a promotion or whether, you know, the last time they they completely got it wrong and this time it was their last chance, all of that really uh factors into it. So you're dead right doing that research. And and um I've heard recently where you know people are saying sometimes those assumptions you actually put on the table and then people like to correct you, right? Like, so if, you know, if you say it's this and yeah, does that, does that strategy, yeah. What's your view on that strategy? Yeah. I like to, I like to suggest things to the counterparty as though there are other people who have had the same ideas. So for example, I might, if you were the counterparty in this situation, we'll just do a quick role play. um, And you had, you were struggling coming up with things that, you wanted out of this negotiation, I might say, look, other people like you that we've spoken to in the past have wanted X, Y, or Z. Is that something that you think you might want out of this negotiation? Then you're going to say, yes, but actually what's more important to me is... And so those are, that's an easy way for you to start assessing, okay, what's more of a priority? Yes, they want this, but they want it this way. Yes, they like that, but this is more important to them. And you can start assessing what they really want out of the negotiation. Now, the benefit of that is you get to suggest things that are beneficial for you, Yes. right? So yes. when you're saying those things about other people have wanted these things, you're saying things that are a slam dunk for you that you know you can easily do for the counterparty. Yes. yes, of course we want that. And we also want this. Okay, cool. Out of those two, which do you think is more important for you? Now you're starting to prioritize. It's easier to do um, once you've had practice role-playing it. That's why role-playing is so important. Great. And and just uh, we'll get on the role-playing one sec. And, and, and just on the, on you know, uh, doing that preparation, uh, what about personalities? Because I know it, it you know, once again at Coca-Cola, we did a lot of work on identifying, you know, whether it was using a disc profile or, you know, some form of personality profiling and trying to make sure that our negotiation style matched the person. Does that is that still relevant today? Like I'm talking, you know, eleven years ago now is, is my no, information. I, th- I think so. I think everyone approaches negotiations with their own communication profile and with their own communication style. Yes. But I don't want you to get stuck in your own communication style, if that makes sense. Yes, the counterparty is going to have a certain way that they generally do things. And we can largely assume that most of the counterparties that we speak to haven't taken 
probably very good negotiation training or any negotiation yes. training at all. And so we know that they're going to approach the negotiation in the personality that they're most comfortable with or the communication profile they're most comfortable with. But do not let that get you to fall into the trap that you have to approach the negotiation in your own communication profile. You should be adaptable. Yes. Your job is to be adaptable to the situation. Your job is to be adaptable to how that person is speaking to you and to match a communication profile that would best speak to that person. Yeah. Um, so I'm very, I'm very cautious about saying to you, okay, this is your communication profile. Therefore, you should negotiate with this way. I think that's bad advice. Spot on. Spot on. I think it's… Know, know your communication profile, but be adaptable to others. Spot on. And I think, you know, often, um, you know, if you're dealing with people in uh, IT uh, as a general rule and you're dealing with males, they tend to be uh, in a disk profile. I won't go into the whole thing, but they, they're normally more direct. They want the facts. They don't want to have, you know, nice relationship-based conversations, right? So if your style is like my style is more relationship-based, I need to then adapt my style to know that I've got right. to be short, punchy, et cetera, because the way that you communicate is going to potentially stop you from getting that information that you talked about, which is the research. All right, now to the role plays, right? So what are some of the best techniques to role play? You know, is it great to, you know, film yourself on video or, you know, yeah, tell us a little bit about how, uh, you know, you're listening to to Mark here, you're a, a cloud consultant and you're thinking, God, role plays terrify me. Like I couldn't think of anything worse than doing a role play. You know, what what are some ways to, to overcome that? I think it makes sense that it terrifies you. I mean, if, it, if you're listening to this right now and you're thinking, God, this sounds terrible, that's a very normal, natural response. Yeah. Most people don't like public speaking in general, and most people don't like critique of the way that they do something that they think they're good at. Yes. And so when you role play, you're dealing with both of those fears. So what I it's I think, in my opinion, it's never been a better time to get better at negotiation because we have technology working in our favor. So you can, it, a lot of teams, especially in the cloud and the soft SaaS world, world are still distributed, right? Mostly remote. Yeah. And so you have the benefit of having Zoom or yeah. Teams or whatever you use to be able to practice your role playing without actually sitting across the table from someone. And you have the ability to record it on an ongoing yeah. basis. So get the other party on camera that you're practicing with a friend or a colleague in your organization or a leader, whomever you designate to be able to help you make sure that they fully understand their role in the role play make sure that they know that what your role is in the role play and then designate an activity that you're going to put together so for example today our discussion is going to be about price or today our discussion is going to be about terms or whatever it might be and then make sure you set that agenda and practice that part of it don't try and swallow the ocean right yeah. That's going to be way too much to do an entire negotiation in one role play setting. Just find the thing that you want to practice the most, work that in, and then work the next time. It'll take you about a half an hour to an hour to be able to do that. And then watch your own video. Listen to how you sound. Listen to how you talk. Watch the body language movements that you have, the hand gestures, the eyebrow raises. And what you'll find is that when you get difficult questions – 
from the counterparty and you're looking at your own response, you'll find that you're probably letting off information that you don't want the counterparty to let off. There have been many circumstances where I've watched video from some of our trainers um, and our training partners where someone asks a question and they kind of roll their eyes or they raise their eyebrows yes. or they look like they're defeated. You know, those kinds of things pop up and you're like, okay, we need to adjust that behavior um, and we need to fix that within ourselves. Now, is it comfortable? No. Is it good for your ego? No. <laughs> but as long as you're willing to put both of those things aside and, and integrate that feedback and integrate that video feedback as well, you're going to get much better at your negotiations. Yeah. And, and just, just quickly on the video component of it, right? I'm assuming more and more negotiations are now done by video versus in person. Right? COVID, yeah. you know, the, the savings of COVID, aren't, companies aren't going to give those back, right? So you're not going to be flying around That's the world right. all the time. So, uh, and the great thing is you can have more negotiations so you're not wasting time traveling. So are there any particular tips for video or Zoom uh, negotiations versus in person? Yeah, absolutely. And a really good question. People are under the false belief and sometimes the misguided assumption that just because there is a screen in front of me, that somehow that hides me from the judgment of others. It doesn't. In fact, it magnifies it. And so we need to be very aware that we are on camera all the time. So uh, I'll give you some hardware tips. We'll get into some management tips after that. First hardware tip. Make sure that your audio and um, your mic is good, right? So you can hear them clearly and make sure they can hear you clearly. Uh, if you don't know what mic or headset to buy, go speak to the local gamer kid in your family. Maybe it's yeah. a, a, a nephew or something like that or a niece that you can speak to and say, okay, what do you use for video game streaming? Buy that. Right, right. buy whatever or, it is they're or, using. Or they the quick the alternative is go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash video, and I've got all my equipment there, which I stole there from a go. gamer. So there you go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly the same advice. Perfect. Um, then the next thing you want to do is make sure you've got a good camera. Yes. Camera is key, and camera placement is key. So yeah. camera placement, just slightly above eye level, above the desktop area that you're working with. Do not use your laptop camera, please. It's yeah. not a flattering look, especially if it's low. It's going to catch all the double chins. We don't want that to happen. Remember that perception is everything tactically in negotiation. And the better perception that we can create for people, the easier it is for them to accept us as someone that they can trust in the process. So we've spoken about noise. We've spoken about camera. Let's speak about lighting. Lighting is essential. Make sure you're in a well-lit area. Um, the key here is just to make sure you're not in a dark place, right? Because yeah. if I can't see your facial features, it looks to me as though you're in the dark hiding. And we generally don't think much of those people that are hiding in the dark. Yes. We think bad things. So we don't want that to happen. Remember, we're trying to create a good perception. We want to make sure we've got good lighting. So those are all the major hardware. Oh, the last thing is background. Make sure you curate your background appropriately. I'm sure you can all remember that at the beginning of COVID, there were a bunch of news broadcasts where the news broadcaster had things in the background that they didn't want people to see. Yeah, at mainly their children, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. There are a lot of things that happened where you're like, oh, no, that, you know, and they made some social gaffes and, you know, it was a bit of an, a bit of an issue. 
people very quickly learn. So make sure that you have a good curated background. If you can't curate your background, blur your background, get a a virtual background, however you want to do it. Just control the environment as much as you can. That's the key. Control the environment. Yeah. Next thing I want you to think about when it comes to virtual negotiations is always keep your camera on. Yeah. This is important because it not only shows the counterparty who you are, but you always you also get video feedback into how you're doing. In the real world, we've never had that feedback before. So I could talk to you in the real world. The only feedback that I get is your physical response to me. But yes. now I get your physical response and I get camera feedback. Which is different, right? Like that's totally changed the way that people, so people can adjust and move and change things on the fly. You can't do that as much or as well in the real world. So keep your camera on, make sure your camera feedback is on and ask the counterparty to turn their camera on. If they have their camera off, ask them to turn it on. If they won't turn it on, ask the turn to turn it on for next time and shut yours off. Because if you don't shut yours off and theirs is off, you're at a strategic disadvantage. So if, just make sure that there's a common agreement that we're going to keep cameras on. And you can say, look, you know, call us old fashioned. We want to develop a personal relationship. Make sure there's a face on the other side, et cetera, et cetera. However you want to handle that conversation. Yeah, well, I must admit, you know, at the start of COVID, it was like, or before COVID, I used to have to ask people to put their cameras on. Now, you you know, everyone no, just comes into a meeting. Yeah, it's become so much uh, more acceptable and, and easier, I think. And, you know, cameras have just become you know, a part of our life and, and 100% agree. So we'll have the, in the show notes, we'll have uh, Paul Higgins mentoring dot com forward slash video for the equipment and uh mark's tips and we're uh, listening to mark raffin and he's from negotiations.ninja and we've covered three habits right so we've covered uh plan and prepare role play and debrief so just on the debrief right so i i loved uh back in i don't know i'll call it 20 years ago uh, we went to a uh, we had um top pilots come in and they talked about a no rank debrief so after every mission they did a no rank debrief right so uh something that's always stuck with me so i do a similar thing to what you do for every major project every major thing that i do but um some nuances right so what's what's um because people go yeah debrief and it sort of just turns into a you know a love fest and nothing really happens right so how do you have the debrief so it actually really does create learning and not just a good feeling i think for every debrief you've got to have someone facilitating if you're doing it as a team yeah you've got to have someone facilitating that debrief um which is going to help people get their ideas out and it's also going to force people to share their ideas and i also think there needs to be expectations shared at the beginning of the debrief to be able to say look there's no one's getting get in trouble for anything that they've said here. And by the way, criticism is your friend, right? If you if someone's a critical, that we're going to try and be respectful, obviously, with that criticism. But criticism is going to make you better. So yes. when you share, share in a respectful way, but do share, and you're not going to get, you know, slagged for that. You're not going to get in trouble for that. That's not going to make you look bad in front of everyone. So make sure that everyone understands. You know that it's a it's a uh, open, free, and a safe environment that you can share. Make sure they understand the expectations of the sharing. Once you've set those expectations, then debriefs become significantly more productive. Because if you don't do that, you know someone's 
it's easiest to default to no work. Yes. To go, yeah, I think we did fine. Right. And you're like, okay, right. Like that doesn't actually mean anything. What, what did we do fine? Right. And that's why a good facilitator there is really, really important. If you don't have the luxury of having someone facilitate that, um, just make sure that everyone understands that your role might be yes. as the facilitator. And if you, if you don't designate that at the beginning, that someone is designated as the facilitator, someone's going to be like, well, Mark, what do you know? Right. Well, actually, my job is to facilitate this conversation. Yeah. Oh, well, why didn't you say that at the beginning? Right. So making yeah. sure that we understand roles and responsibilities up front, like every project, right? right. A, a debrief is like that too. Um, and then also making sure that someone's capturing all of that information. Yes. That's probably the biggest thing that most people miss because without capturing that information, you're, you're never going to be able to put that into how you would move things forward. I'm a big, big proponent of carrying a negotiation journal with you. So writing down all of those things after the negotiation that went well, didn't go well, and what you can improve on is a is a big, big thing. That journal changes the way that you negotiate because now you can look back in your notes and be like, hey, six months ago, I was worried about this. That's really improved. Now I'm worried about this. It's going to really shape the way that you negotiate well. Yeah, and and, you know, the reason I've got Mark on – the, the podcast because he's an expert. He does this every day. He spent time in procurement. He's worked with some amazing brands, like I said at the start of the 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 podcast. So he's dedicated his life to it. For you, you may be, you know, someone that's technically minded that's coming to run a consulting business. This is new to you, right? So, you know, ultimately you don't have to be as good as Mark. You just got to be better than the person that you're negotiating with to get the outcome you want, right? So every step is a step forward. So no matter where you are, take these three habits and then work forward. And what you can do is go and listen to Mark and his podcast. So it's um, Negotiation Ninja, and it's a fantastic podcast. I highly recommend it. And uh, he's got people like Chris Voss and others that have been on the podcast where you can sort of learn from those guys. So what we're going to do now, Mark, is go into the rapid section where I'll ask you four questions and you'll give me some rapid replies. So the first one is what are some of the daily sales habits that you do to help grow negotiations ninja? Always ask for referrals. That's the single biggest thing that generated sales in my business. And I'm very explicit about it. So after a discussion, I'll say, hey, look, the biggest way that I grow my business is through referrals. It's the biggest compliment that you can give me. Do you know anyone that you could refer me to via email and CC me on so that we could create more wins like we did for you today? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, yeah, let's do that. Brilliant. I reckon, you know, including Mary, there's 1% of people that do that. Uh, so uh, the second is uh, for sales. How do you find out more about sales? Where, where do you go to, to find out more info? Uh, I read a lot, so I'm a big fan of books, physical books, and I also yeah. like audiobooks, but I prefer physical books. Uh, I'm a huge fan of classics like um, anything by Anthony Anarino or Jeb Blunt. Um, I like Patrick Tinney. He's a great author. Um, Keenan's a great author. Like I'm, I'm a huge reader of books in general, so yes. any book that I can get my hand on when it comes to sales, I try and read it. Right. And if we could grant you a wish in negotiations ninja now, what would it be? 100% increase on my business. Yeah. All right. I'll uh, see what we've got now. Uh, what have you got? Christmas stocking. Can you do it? Yeah. <laughs> 
make sure like I made the wish now. Now it has to come true, right? <laughs> true. And uh, the last one, you know, certainly around a negotiation. What do you know now after years of doing this that you wish you had to learn earlier? Slow down. That's the single biggest thing I should have learned at the beginning of my career with negotiations. Slow down. You're in such a rush to close because you have revenue and commission associated with it, which is great, but it's not going to create a good quality deal. Yeah, Slow brilliant. Down. All right, well, uh, it's been amazing having you on, Mark. Uh, like I said, the podcast, everything will be in the show notes. I'll do a little outro at the end of this so you'll uh, capture my uh, best practice learnings out of this and uh yeah it's been an absolute pleasure having you on mark thank you so much for having me paul i really appreciate it that was a great interview with mark and you know it's so important as i asked the question it applies to new business as much as existing and i know a lot of us meaning you are focusing on new business so there's these tactics that you can uh, implement and uh why don't you share what you learned with Mark on LinkedIn. He's on LinkedIn. He's got a great profile. He's got 20,000 followers, so they'll get to see what you post as well. Uh, all the links are in the show notes. As I said, just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast. It's episode 457. And why not share it with your other cloud consultant buddies, right? I know you're pretty tight with others, so why not share it with them? They'll actually think you're a rock star for it. Check out our solo shows. And if you are scaling your cloud consulting business and want a blueprint, so a guide as to the key components that you need to make it easier, go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash blueprint and get your free copy today. And as always, please take action to accelerate your sales. I'm fired up after today's episode. What about you? But hey, before you go, learning is just one piece of the puzzle. Now it's time to put today's strategy into action. Head over now to today's show page at paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash podcast and share how you'll put it into action. Be sure to head over to your favorite podcast platform and subscribe, rate, and review the show. Tell me what your favorite episode is. And don't wait one minute more to gain access to your pulse check at paulhigginsmentoring.com. This could be the difference between struggling to get more leads and making this next quarter your best one yet.